Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that He is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now, let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. We're studying spiritual disciplines, and those are simply these things that we implement in our life that ought to be daily that grow us in our spiritual walk with Jesus. And so it should be something we practice daily, should be something that's happening daily, and we should be growing in Christ. So we're going to flip to a couple different passages of Scripture tonight. We'll start in Romans 7, then we'll go to Colossians chapter 2. So if you want to go to Romans 7, we'll begin there in a few minutes once we get through some recap from the past couple of weeks. We'll also be in Matthew 6, but we'll start in Romans chapter 7. Also, what I plan to do tonight on in is give you just a couple of simple steps on how I study a passage of Scripture. It's really a three-step process that I use, and it's very black and white, but I do this every time I come to a passage of Scripture, add or take away a few things, but these three simple tips have helped me grow tremendously in my walk with the Lord. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into Spiritual Disciplines Week 2. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much just for who you are. We're grateful for another Sunday night that we get to come together and open scripture and just study a topic together. So Lord, as we as a group, as we as a church desire to grow closer to you, I pray that you would conform us and you would give us the desire and you would give us the ability and the intellect to understand and apply these simple truths tonight. So Lord, tonight is very simple. It's very practical. But Lord, it's something that we cannot omit from our lives. And so Lord... We need a daily relationship with your word. And so, Lord, I pray tonight gives us some simple steps on how to implement that every single day of our walk with you, Jesus. So speak to us now, I pray. In your name we do ask this. Amen. I remember when I I'd got called to preach, and so if you're a Beulah, you've heard my testimony before. I accepted the call to preach going into my junior year of high school. And so before that, I really lived this lifestyle in my Christian walk where all the Bible that I got was at these pews on Sunday morning and at the youth gym on Wednesday nights. And I never really had a relationship with the Bible. And so that year, that summer, the pastor, I can't remember who he was, we were at a camp in Tennessee. He was preaching on everybody needs to have what's called a launching point for God. And it's really the, the, the meat of his message was everybody needs to understand this principle of total surrender. And I got to thinking, I've only given Jesus X amount of my life. He doesn't have it all, and he needs to have every bit of it. And so I got to praying that, and I said, Lord, and I went to the altar. I said, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I do know this. There's parts of my life that I'm holding on to, part of my life that I've not given you that I need to give you. And so, Lord, I said, you can have whatever it is you're seeking. And so that began a two-year process in my life of me learning how to grow in Jesus and really This became beautiful to me when I went to Israel. I was in Bible college. I was taking these Bible, these, they're called hermeneutics classes, but what it is, it's how to study the Bible. These simple principles on how to implement daily Bible study, take the passage of scripture, exegete it, and then put it into a sermon and deliver it on a Sunday morning. And I was learning how to do all this. I'm like, man, there's a lot of, that goes into that. I'm like, why is it so important? Then I go to Israel, and I'm standing at this place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus had brought his disciples to this place. And I had read this passage many of times where Jesus says to his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And in my mind, I always just viewed these gates of hell as this gate that was on fire and it was hell where the, people, where, where the soul goes when they don't know Jesus. That was in my mind every time I read that chapter in Matthew. Well, I go to this place and that's not the context at all. Jesus brings his disciples in front of this cave, and this cave was literally called the gates of hell in Jesus' day. And at this place, they sacrificed innocent babies to a pagan god, and Jesus brings his disciples here and says, none of this wickedness, we're here at the gates of hell, so to speak, none of this will prevail against the church that I'm building. And then Catholics say that Peter is the rock. We know that Jesus is the rock. You read the Greek word there, he calls Peter a small stone, a pebble, this small little piece that's placed in the church. But then he says, I am the rock that, I, that the church will be built upon. And my eyes, I was like, man, 
I've never read scripture this way. I've never taken a passage passage of scripture at, at my home, in my study, and seen it come to life in this way as I have standing here in Israel. Now, they always say if you go to Israel, the Bible will come to life to you, and it really will. But what I learned was taking the, some simple truths, some simple ways to read and study the Bible can help us see the Bible how it truly is intended for us to see it. And we can under, when we understand it more, we apply it more. And so that is one of the spiritual disciplines. So to recap, because I see a few new faces that were not here in week one, and some of you like me might forget from Sunday to Monday what we talked about in week one. And so we looked a lot at the Psalms in week one, and we talked about David's prayer where he said, Search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And I encouraged you, if you're here week one, pray that prayer every day for the last two weeks. Because if we cannot know who God wants us to be, we cannot ever become the person that God has intended us to be until we first know who we are currently. And so God has got to begin revealing to us who we are so that we can forsake some things, we can get rid of some things in our life so that we can then begin to plug in and grow to the person that Christ has called us to become. I think there's a quote the first week. Well, we didn't throw it up there. There was, there was a quote that said, spiritual disciplines are simply the wire that connects us to God. And so is true. If we are a follower of Jesus, these simple disciplines, these simple practices that we implement, should be implementing every day of our life, they're connecting us to the, God's power and to our growth in him every single day of our life. So, I might have asked a question similar to this in the first week, but question one, a few questions tonight. What are some main challenges you face in being consistent in practicing spiritual disciplines, such as spending time in prayer and reading the Bible? So answer that in your own head. What are some main challenges that you face in being consistent in practicing spiritual disciplines, such as spending time in prayer and spending time in the Word of God? Now, if we were to poll the audience, these, these challenges would be very different for everybody. But a couple of the main ones would be, I don't have time, I don't know how, I lack this, or I'm struggling here. There's this, and does it ever seem like this for you? You go to read the Bible at night or in the morning, and your days went well. You have not forgotten anything, the kids are in bed, you know, everything's paid, the cars aren't running, the iron's not plugged in. But you go to open a passage of scripture. And as soon as you do, everything comes into your mind. Did I take the dog out? Did I unplug the curling iron? Did my wife unplug the curling iron? Did I unplug the iron? Did I leave the stove on when I cooked five days ago? I didn't even cook today. But is the stove on? And all of these random thoughts start coming into your mind. Does that happen to you? Because it happens to me. When I go to pray, Lord, and all of a sudden something comes into my mind. Did I talk to that person today? Did I respond to that text message did I email that person back? So then what do I do? I stop what I'm doing. I get up and I check my phone. I check my laptop. Did I do this? I did. But all these thoughts start coming into my mind. Why? I want to see this first truth. There's an inward battle. That's, that's Romans chapter 7. There's an inward battle. And look, we could read a lot of, a lot of verses in this chapter. But look at verse 20. Now, in Romans chapter 7, verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I then find a law. When I would do good, evil is present within me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing into captivity the law of sin, which is of my members. O wretched man that I am, this is Paul talking, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, here's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. Every single day of my life, now he recalls a time of his life before he accepted Christ, he recalls a time in his life right now when he has accepted Christ, when he's a growing Christian. But here's what he's basically saying. There's things that I would like to do for God that I don't do. And there's things that I don't want to do that sin that I end up doing. And here's what Paul's getting at in Romans chapter 7. Every single day of my life, there's a struggle. There's a fight. There's a war going on with inside of me. Now, how many of you are familiar with a truck full? I know some of you over here have been that old Donald. But at, at Northmore, the high school I went to, they would have two fellas. They'd have gotten these trucks. One's a Dodge, one's a Chevy. And they'd say, I bet my truck's more powerful than your truck. 
And this other guy, I bet my truck's more powerful than your truck. And they say, well, you want to bet? Well, yeah, we'll bet. All right, well, after school today, I got the chain. We'll go to this parking lot. We'll hook these two trucks up, and we'll see who can pull who. And you can go watch this after school because you have nothing else better to do. And so these two trucks line up, and they're pulling. One's going this way. One Sometimes, I mean, there would just be a slaughter, and one would get drug all over the parking lot. Other times, it would be like a standstill. And they're both kind of just inching forward one way. One starts winning. The other one starts winning. And it's this constant battle between the two. That's really the picture that Paul's painting in Romans chapter 7. Every day of your life, there is an inward tug of war, so to speak that is fighting against one another. So what is the tug of war? It's your flesh, it's your sin nature, and it's what's producing in you your sanctification, your growth in Jesus as you're working toward spiritual growth. Every day, this battle that is raging on the inside of you. And Paul gets so blunt, I love chapter 7 of Romans, because Paul gets so blunt with us to say, the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And now some people have tried to twist. This is why good Bible study is important. Some people have tried to twist Paul's words in Romans 7 and say he's calling the time before he got saved. He's not. You look at Romans systematically. He gives you the gospel in chapter 1 through verse 16. Chapter 2 through chapter 3, he calls us sinners. He literally brings us to a courtroom and declares us guilty. And it says that we are deserving of death and hell. He goes to chapter 4 and introduces this new word called justification. He takes that word through chapter 4, chapter 5. Chapter 6, he introduces sanctification. So if you've been justified in chapters 4 and 5 by faith alone, you're beginning to grow in chapter 6. Chapter 7, he takes a break. Hey, I'm in this. I'm in the middle. I've accepted the gospel. I've been justified by faith. I'm being sanctified, growing in Jesus. But there's a struggle. There's a battle. Every day there's a tug of war that's fighting on the inside of me. Then he goes to chapter 8. But now, look at it. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He don't take a break in his epistle to say, hey, I'm not saved in chapter 7, but chapter 6 and chapter 8 I am. No, he's telling us this is a struggle that we all face. Then he says, verse 1, there is therefore now, at this current moment, in Christ Jesus, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So in this chapter, what he does is he kind of gives it, verse 1 through 6 of chapter 7, kind of seem odd, seem out of place. He's talking a lot about the law. And so why is he talking about the law? Because he's pointing to a fact. That when we read what we should not do, there's a tendency in us. It's kind of like this. Teenagers, you know all about this. There's a wall at school that says, wet paint, do not touch. What is the tendency? Just want to touch it. There's a patch of lawn in the middle of New York City that says, do not walk. What's the tendency? You want to touch that grass. You read a sign that says, do not enter. What do you want to do? You want to enter it. Why? It's our nature to rebel. You were not taught to touch the wet paint. You were not taught to step on the grass should not be stepped on. You were not taught that. It's your inward nature. And so what Paul's getting at is we have this law. And he's writing to some Jews, some people in Rome who are under this, this principle that they had to earn their way to God. He's tearing that down left and right through his, through his letter. He's saying, hey, look, this law was set in place to condemn us. But who we are on the inside, we're sinful. We're still sinful. So we read this law, thou shalt not lie. What do we want to do? We want to lie. Thou shalt not covet. We want to covet. And so he says, it's a battle every single day within me. But he gives us the remedy how to fix that. It's through Jesus. When we submit our life to Jesus, he breaks these barriers of sin in us. But the question's been asked before to me, to other pastors. Travis, I'm saved and I know that I am. So why do I still struggle with sin? Why can't I just sit down and read the Bible and not forget, not, not think about the curling iron? Or not wonder about the stove? Or not think about this? Why? Because this process, I wish I had it on the screen. It's justification by faith alone in Jesus. Moves to sanctification, you're growing in Jesus. Moves to glorification with him in heaven forever. Right now we're in that middle process. Where day by day, I told you, Kurt Scaly, I love Kurt Scaly. He said this in one of my hermeneutics classes. He said, it's the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God to make you like the Son of God. I shared that in week one. It's the Spirit of God 
takes the word of God to make you like the son of God. That's sanctification. Day by day, moment by moment, we are growing to become like Jesus Christ. And so there's a fight. And we've got to acknowledge that fight. That there's a pull every single day in your life that's going to say, hey, don't you read the Bible today. Don't you pray. If you go, like, Satan, in his mind, he knows once you are saved, you can never be his for good. So then he says, well, I've got a plan B for them. If I can cause them to be stagnant in their relation with Jesus, I will succeed for one day. And if I can do that for day after day after day, I'm succeeding for a week now. I'm succeeding for a month. I've succeeded for six months. And it takes us saying, oh, I'm acknowledging there's a battle. I'm acknowledging there's a war going on inside of me. But I'm going to be disciplined enough, spiritual disciplines. I'm going to be disciplined enough to say no to the flesh and yes to Jesus. That's number one. There's an inward battle. Now, this is kind of recap from last week because we weren't here. The practice of disciplines. So I asked you two weeks ago if you would consider yourself a growing Christian. Important question to ask. So I ask you again. Would you consider yourself a growing Christian? Flip to 1 Peter. We did this last time. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll look at verse, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. What this is, see that word there? If you have the last three words, that you may grow thereby. That Greek word for grow, it's not you accept Christ and then you remain the same. It's not what it's saying. It's not that you accept Christ and you grow for a year and then you stop. That's not what it's saying. The Greek word for grow in verse 2, it paints this picture of continual growth. Say so what that means. It means you're going to grow and you're going to keep growing. And you're going to keep growing. And you're going to keep growing. And you're going to keep growing until when? You get to heaven. It means to advance or to keep advancing. So you're going to grow, and you're going to advance. Here's what it's saying, every single day. Now, Paul kind of writes on this same thought to the Corinthians. He says, I come to you, but I have to speak the small, the milk of Scripture, and I, w I wish I could speak the meat of Scripture. What's he saying to the Corinthians? You're not growing. You're not maturing. You're not becoming like Christ. You're not, being, you're not every single day being made like the Son of God. You're not. You've stopped. You're stagnant. And so Peter, I mean, if you study Peter's book, it's beautiful. Peter was the loudmouth. Peter was the guy that, you know, denied Jesus three times. Peter's the guy that after he denied Jesus three times, Jesus goes to the cross. What's Peter do? Well, boys, I'm going to go a-fishing. That's what he says in John 21. I go a-fishing. I've failed Jesus. I've flunked the test. I can't follow Jesus, so I just go a-fishing. That's what he says in John 21. Jesus comes to him, he repaints that same exact picture, invites him again, just like he was on the Sea of Galilee, fishing, didn't catch any fish. Jesus, cashing on the other side, wow, here's a lot of fish. It's you, Jesus. What's he do? He commits to following him again, and Peter got it. And now Peter writes this little book, First and Second Peter, these two little books. And a lot of it, he writes on his own failures. He tells us, watch and pray. Well, what did Peter not do? in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not watch and pray. He fell asleep. And Jesus said, Peter, Satan desires to have you, to sift you like wheat. So now Peter comes to us and says, hey, guys, I've messed up. But hey, you need to watch and pray. And here's what he's saying. As newborn babes, he's talking about this life of following Jesus. Verse 1, here's things we lay aside. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby. So, According to Peter, every day you should be growing in Christ. Now, this does not mean you're going to grow equally every day. It'll look different. does not mean you'll grow equally every month. It'll look different. But what he's getting at is every single day you will advance. You will grow in a small area. What's he doing? The Spirit of God's taking the Word of God to make you and I like the Son of God. Three, I don't think we, don't, we have one of these on the screen. 
The foundation of the spiritual disciplines is the same whether you are a newborn babe in Christ, newly saved, or a long-time Christian. In other words, you will never outgrow your need for the basic spiritual disciplines. Don't miss that. Do not miss that. The foundation of the spiritual disciplines is the same. Whether you're a newborn babe in Christ, you're newly saved, or you are a longtime Christian for 60-some years. What he's getting at, in other words, you will never outgrow the basic need for spiritual disciplines. So let us never get to a place where we say, I outgrow the need to daily study the Word of God. If we're there, we're operating out of pride, and we think we have arrived, and we look the first week. If Paul says in Philippians 3, I have not arrived, you and I have not arrived either. So number one, the foundation of spiritual disciplines is the same. That's why, that's why there's a lot of people that's been saved in here for years, but we're talking about reading the Bible. Why? The foundation for spiritual disciplines is the same. Whether you just got saved yesterday or you've been saved for 85 years, the spiritual disciplines are the same. Secondly, it's not up there. The foundation of your spiritual discipline is the same regardless of your personal circumstance. The foundation of your spiritual disciplines is the same regardless of your personal circumstance. There is not one set of disciplines for the pastor and another set of disciplines for the follower of Jesus. We all have the same spiritual disciplines. That means I'm called every single day to get in the Word, to pray, to seek God, to grow. You are called every single day to get in the Word, to seek Christ, and to grow. It doesn't matter if your personal, doesn't matter your job, doesn't matter your occupation, doesn't matter your family background, doesn't matter what you're going through. Every single person is called to the exact same spiritual disciplines. And then three, the call to practice spiritual disciplines is the call for everyone. The call to practice spiritual disciplines is the call for everyone. So this practice, it's not only my call, it's your call. And if we're not going to be diligent enough to discipline ourselves to these practices every single day, hear me, we will not ever grow. We cannot tap in to this wire that is spiritual disciplines if we're not disciplined every day with these spiritual disciplines. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 speaks to us, but then it talks about the dangers. Let's turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Flip over there. We'll look at it really quick. I told you we'd flip around a couple times tonight. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12, says this, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Before we get into this main spiritual discipline for tonight, if any of us, myself included, are under the assumption, I don't need a spiritual discipline, or I don't need to read the word, or I don't need to pray, we're thinking too much of ourselves. And he gives us a call. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, watch out, take heed, before he falls. So question two. What is the danger in believing that you are so spiritually mature that you can skip or choose not to engage in a spiritual discipline? What is the danger? It's a huge danger. If any of us, the pastor included, to the, new, the newest saved Christian in the room, if any of us get to a point in our spiritual walk where we think, I'm good enough today that I can omit scripture, or I cannot pray today, or I cannot fellowship today, or I cannot thank him today. If we get to a point like that, we're in a very dangerous spot. It's pride. And pride goeth before destruction. And so if that's us, hopefully that's what we're doing us in our prayer life the past couple of weeks. You hear people say often, I'm just not as spiritual as some other people. That's because we're not disciplined in our spiritual disciplines. The pastor, the deacon, the elder, the Sunday school teacher, it's not like God gives them this special amount of knowledge of Scripture. Now, he helps them, he helps you, but it's every single day. The newest saved Christian to the oldest saved Christian has got to be disciplined to study Scripture and to grow in Christ. So, number three, the necessity of the Word. Now we're going to get into really what I wanted to focus on tonight. The necessity of our turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be there for a few minutes. 
That might be the last place we flip to. So Colossians chapter 2, and we'll sit there for a few minutes. There are some things that you need every single day of your physical life. One of those is water. You need water every single day of your physical life. To grow, to live, for your organs and your body to function properly, you need water. I was talking to a kid the other day. You all know who I'm talking about. And we, we, we pick with him a lot. I don't know where he's at. He's not in here, I don't think. We pick with him a lot. We said, hey, man, when's the last time you drank water? Because this guy, I mean, he is Mountain Dew to his core. You all know who we're talking about when I said Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew to his core. He said, you know, what was it, two, three months? Since I've had one sip of water, we said, how are your organs even, f- your kidneys are probably screaming. And so they, the kids challenged him, teenagers challenged him, said, hey, dude, the whole month of June, not one sip of soda, not one sip of Mountain Dew, just drink water. So the man lived on water and lemonade for the whole month of June. He said, I waited till July 4th. The fireworks were ringing, and I cracked a cold Mountain Dew. And he said, it tasted so good. But I'm thinking, a whole month, two months, with not one simple sip of water. He said, now there's been times I've had Kool-Aid. I said, how many cups of sugar's in your Kool-Aid? Two cups. I'm like, okay, that's not the same. You're not hydrating off of Kool-Aid. You need water every day. What's something else you need? You need food. You got to eat every single day of your life, every day. Now you can fast. Jesus was 40 days fasted. But you need nutrients in your life every single day for your physical body to be sustained and to grow. So is true with your spiritual body. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 6, verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, that's the word of God. The bread in that prayer is the word of God. Now, he's equating us having spiritual disciplines in the word with something we physically need every single day. Do you see the picture? Just like every single day you need food, You need breakfast, lunch, and supper, or at least a couple of those. You need nutrients. You need water every single day of your life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, every day, without fail, you need spiritual food. What is spiritual food? It's the Word of God. That's why Peter said, we were in 1 Peter 2 too, the sincere milk of the Word. The milk is what gives us nutrients. The milk is what grows us. The Word of God is what grows us to be a mature Christian. And so every single day, the Word of God is something we have to feast on. Now, that doesn't mean your Scripture time has to look just like my Scripture time. But what it does mean is that every single day, without fail, we're carving out a section of time to commit to this spiritual discipline. We must, it's vitally important that we dive into the Word. So, hear this. There is not one, I think it's on the screen, There is not one substitute for the Word of God in your life. Hear that. There is not one substitute for the Word of God in your life. Nothing. Nothing will substitute the Word of God. So let's let's make that make sense. If you're not in the Bible, it does not matter how many church services you attend. My thought was when I was in youth group, I can receive my Bible from Pastor Jackson on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and the youth pastor on Wednesday nights. I was wrong. When I realized going into my junior year that I had not given it all and I was not daily diving into the Word of God, I was missing out on so much. Church is, we're we're committed to go to church. We need someone to expound upon scriptures and help us grow, but it's not a substitute for your daily personal walk with Jesus. If the only Bible you're getting is from the pastor on Sunday mornings, you're not growing. There's not one substitute for the Word of God in your life. So, it doesn't matter how many songs we sing. doesn't matter how much time you spend in worship. doesn't matter how many podcasts you listen to, how many sermons we listen to. If we're not daily diving into Scripture for ourselves, we're not growing Christians. Now, that's not to say we can't have someone help us. We read alongside someone that's explaining. That can help. But if we're just saying, I come to church over days, we're in a bad place. There's no substitute for the Word of God in our life. So to think that, we're in a dangerous place. All of those are great things, but they're not a substitute for the Bible. That means our study of the Word of God must be daily, and it must be personal. 
So teenager, your parents can't study the word for you. Parents, you can't study the words for them. They can't study the word for you. It has to be personal. We're all at different levels of spiritual maturity. Some have been saved longer, but some have grown more in a shorter amount of time because they've developed spiritual disciplines early. So, uh, you've heard it been said before. Your spiritual maturity is not determined by the amount of years you've been saved. Your spiritual maturity is determined by how well you're plugged into Scripture and you're growing in Christ every single day of your walk with Jesus. So here in Colossians chapter 2, look at verse number 7. We'll read 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Verse 7, the key verse. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, Paul was writing to these Colossian believers because there were a lot of, there was a God for everything in Colossae. If they wanted a fertility God, there was one a weather God, there was one a sun God, there was one a moon God, there was one. So he says in verse 8, you got to beware, you got to be careful, because there's a lot of philosophy, there's a lot of teaching that can spoil you. So you got to go back to verse 7. What stops us from being spoiled, being kidnapped, being rooted and built up in Christ? Well, how do you do that? Being in the Word. There's a tree, and I've told this illustration to the youth group before. There's a tree in California, and it's dated. Now, I don't buy into the dating of scientists, whatever, but it's a really old tree. And so they claim for their methods that it's 4,600 years old. It's an old tree. And so how has, my question for it, however old this tree is, how has this tree stood through hurricanes, stood through wind, stood through storms, stood through rain for 4,000 years or however old the tree is? It's got to have a good root system. That tree, year after year, has had to grow and its roots have had to grow deeper into that soil. So that when the winds blow, when the storms come, that old tree, they named it Methuselah, that old tree is not going to fall over because it was dug deep into the soil that it was planted in. How can you, how can I, beware? Verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. That Greek word for spoil means to kidnap. Beware lest anyone kidnap you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments. Rudiments just simply means elementary principles of the world and not after Christ. How can we do verse 8 if we're not rooted in verse 7? We can't. We'll quickly be spoiled. We'll quickly, quickly be kidnapped. And so what's Paul saying in verse 7? You've got to be rooted and built up in what? We're built up in Jesus, but rooted in what? The Word of God. She said, Travis, what are, you, what are you getting at? Every day of your life, it's necessity, it's, it's vital that you plug into this word and you grow by it. You have to be growing every single day in the word of God. Because as you do that, kind of like that tree, day by day or verse by verse or chapter by chapter, your roots are going to grow a little bit deeper. You're going to be grounded that much more much more sturdy in the faith. And so then when Satan comes and says, hey, look what they're teaching, or look what they're doing, or look how that person's acting, or won't you do this? You know what? It doesn't matter how hard his winds might blow or how stern his temptations might be. We're rooted and we're built up in the Word of God. We have to be. If we're not, and I've noticed in my life, if I'm not daily engaging with Scripture, I'm more apt to my sins that thus so easily beset me. Hebrews says we all have sins. Yours is different than mine. Mine is different than yours. It looks different for everybody. But what I've noticed, and my tendency is to worry and to, to panic over everything. If I'm not in the Bible for a day or two, whatever's happening in my life is killing me. I'm going to Christiana. Christiana, I found this little spot, and it's probably the end of me, and I'm just I'm panicking over everything. But if I'm in the Word... I've noticed that those tendencies are less. Why? Because the word is ministering to my soul. And day by day, my roots slowly. Now, I told you this the first week. Spiritual growth is slow. It's an ongoing process. It's not one day you're going to be accepting Christ. The next day you're going to be glorified unless you go to heaven. You're not going to just be this, you know, this perfectly mature Christian here on earth. It's day by day. It's moment by moment. Second by second. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, 
prayer by prayer, we are growing that much more and sticking our roots down into the soil that is the Word of God. So see what he says? Verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him. So you're rooted in the Word, and as you're rooted in the Word, you're being built up. Go back to what I said when I was in Israel. Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. And so therefore, if we are on Him, and we're being built up on Him through the Word, doesn't matter what Satan does in our life. Because we're sturdy, our roots are in the Word, and our foundation is Jesus and Jesus alone. Going on the verse. It says, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Psalm chapter 1 kind of speaks to this. It says, And ye shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. See, the godly Christian who is walking in Christ, the psalmist says, he is like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth fruit. So what's the psalmist talking about? If we were to flip to Psalm 1, you don't have to. It gives us two paths that mankind can take. The first path is the path of the godly, and he says, His delight shall be in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And then he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That's what he talks about, that's the godly path. Then he says in verse 4, But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Say, what's he talking about? He's saying, if you're not in the Word every single day for yourself, Satan and his temptations will blow you whichever way the wind is blowing that day. So if it's following after the world, yeah, I'm going after the world. If it's following after money or materialism, following after money and materialism. If it's going after lust, I'm going after lust. He says, but the godly man is like the tree planted by the rivers of water which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So what are you getting at? This next step we're going to look at on how to study the word will not matter if you're not daily studying the word. It's got to be something that takes place. I said it on the screen. There's no substitute in your life for daily personal time in the word of God. Nothing will substitute for that in your life. Nothing. So, I ask you, are you, as it's the first week I've already asked you tonight, would you consider yourself a growing Christian? What's your relationship with the Word of God look like? Is it daily? And again, this is not a class where I'm just, you know, hurling, pastor talked about hurling rocks this morning. That's not what this is. I live for too long of my life not living in the Word of God daily. And so I'm passionate about it. The youth group says he never shuts up about it. Because every week I'm telling them, hey, seven days. If you read the Bible for seven days, it'll radically change your life. It will. There's a study that was put out, and I wish I'd have brought it with me. There's a study that was put out that if you read the Bible for four days in a row, a lot of things change. One, two, three days, not that much difference. But four days, pornography and lust is cut down by half. Depression is cut down tremendously. Anxiety is cut down tremendously. There's a huge study on that. If you just read, the, get consistent and disciplined with reading the Word of God every single day of your life. Now, one of the, when you ask someone, hey, what's your relationship with the Word of God like? Well, it could be better. Well, what's going on? Tell me about it. One of the most common things, I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. And I understand you. I've been there. I just don't get it. I was like that. I told you guys the first week when we got challenged in youth group to read the Gospel of Luke. I just went to the Gospel of Luke. I opened up, and I read every verse, and I highlighted every verse blue. Because I thought, I don't know, that sounds good. That seems like it'll apply to my life. I need that. So I just, I just highlighted everything. I, wasn't, I was reading, but I wasn't really studying. And so a lot of us, I just don't get it. So let's look, three steps, simple, three simple steps on how to study the Bible. I've shared this with some of you before. This is just my, this is how I do it. And it's simple, but yet it, it gets a little deep. And so if some of it you're like, I don't want to practice that yet, that's completely okay. Kind of, these are like a buffet. You walk to the buffet, you want this, you don't want that. You can, that can be that your way with this tonight. You don't have to do it like I do it, trust me. There's a lot of people that would say how you do it's ridiculous, and I would say their way is ridiculous. So what's important is that every day you are digging your roots into the Word of God 
and you're understanding it. So three simple steps. The three steps are observation, interpretation, and application. I'll put all this on the screen. The three simple steps, observation, interpretation, and application. So there are some people, and some of you might have been a part of this, there are some people that have dedicated years of their life to studying the process of studying Scripture. I have been in school for that, I'm still in school for that, and I will continue to probably be in school for that. So there are people that know the languages, the original languages, and not everybody's going to learn how to do all that. And that is not intended for you to learn how to do all that. But what is intended is that you learn a simple way to study, read Scripture, and apply. So, three ways. Observation, interpretation, application. But before you get there, here's what I'd encourage you to do. When you open Scripture tonight or tomorrow, say a simple prayer. Lord, will you help me today to understand your word? One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Scripture to you. And so he's got many ministries, but one of those jobs is like a flashlight. He turns it on, and he shines it on that verse. Whoa, i never seen it that way before. It's one of his ministries. It's to illuminate Scripture, to make it come real to us, to make it be alive to us so that we can understand it in our life. However, we must practice Bible study every single day. And the truth is, good Bible study takes time. So there's been times in my life where I just sit down, i got two minutes. That's great. But that's not me sitting down and studying scripture. That's not me. That's me just getting a, a verse or two here or there. But that's not me taking time to dig my root system deep down into the word of God. So I'm not going to give you a, well, tonight your Bible study every single day is going to last five hours. Not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever works for you, but whatever helps you understand it, observe it, interpret it, and apply it, that's how long it needs to take for you. There's not a set time for how long it needs to be, but we've got to understand and apply scripture in our life. So let's look at the first one. Observation, if I get there. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation. The main question, so here's what I do when I open up a passage of Scripture. And again, you don't have to do this. But what I was taught in sermon prep is do not even jot down one thought on a passage of Scripture until you have read that passage ten times. Now you're like, good grief, Travis. Do you not know what I've got to do during the day? i got to work and i got kids and i got school. i got all these things. I get it. I'm not saying you have to read the passage ten times. But here's what I am saying. Read it more than once. In this first initial phase of studying the Bible, read it more than once. Because I promise you, something you did not see the first time, it will pop out to you the second time. Wow, Paul said that that way. Or, or Paul meant it this way. So, you're going to ask yourself, when you open the passage of Scripture, you're going to read it, you're going to reread it, and you're going to continue to reread it. And you're going to ask yourself this question, what am I seeing? So in that, you can jot down... Well, Jesus walked on water. Well, Jesus took some mud, put it on some guy's eyes, and now he can see. Well, Paul said, for him to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, what does that mean? Jot down questions. Jot down things that stick out to you. What am I seeing? How's the passage flowing? How's it breaking up? Well, from verse 6 to verse 7, there seems to be a shift. What's the shift? So jot down, what do I see in this passage of Scripture? Then begin writing out all the things that you see. So after you've read, you've reread, and maybe you've read again, I don't know how many times you'll read it, but I encourage you at least more than once, start jotting these things down. Then you're going to look for a few things. Now, I know that is extremely small, so I will read that to you. So, how many, if I can even see it, how many, do I need glasses? Am I getting like that? How many, stop, this is a little thing observed. How many stoplights do you pass on your way to school? It's a test of how well you observe, or on your way to work. How many stoplights do you pass? Now, if you live in Bennett, you're like, I got you there, Travis. We don't pass any stoplights, so you got me there. All right, think of a stairway. Maybe one in your house, maybe some steps, a building that you use regularly. How many steps are there? Some of you are probably thinking, there's three in our house. We got three. Some of you are probably thinking, well, there's 10, or there's 12. You're observing it. Look on. Think of a person you live or work with. Describe in detail that coworker. You probably can. Man, I sit beside them every single day. They always wear a blue shirt. They bring their lunch every day. They got this cup with sweet tea in it every single day. Whether right-handed or left-handed. Look, what is this? It's a simple test that you observe more than we let on to. A lot of things you just know because you've not necessarily thought about them, but you've seen it over and over and over again, so it sticks with you. That's why it's important to read, reread, and reread because you're observing the text. You're going to see something 
man, well, this time in Colossians chapter 2, I saw that he said, I'm built up in him. I didn't see that the first time. I just saw rooted and built up. But there's a catch there, in him. So I would write that down. Man, well, I'm rooted. I'm built up. And what am I built up in? I'm built up in Jesus. Okay? Well, now I'm established. What does that mean? Established, I mean, I'm secure, I'm steadfast, I'm secure in the faith. I'm just jotting down things that I see. So, you can see it a lot better than on these little screens. In your Bible study, things that are emphasized, this is in your observing, things that are emphasized, things that are repeated, things that are related, things that are alike, things that are unlike, and things that are true to life. So you don't have to, again, you don't have to look for all of those. Look for some of them. In one day, look for, you know, things that are emphasized. Maybe you'll read the same, I like to read the same passage multiple days in a row. That way I'm understanding what he's meaning, what the truth is, and I'm observing that text every single time I come to that text. So maybe this time I didn't see that, man, what's emphasized in Colossians chapter 2 is that I'm built up in him. Hmm. I didn't see that the first day. Maybe I didn't see in verse number 6 that as you therefore have received Christ, it's a, I've got to be saved before any of this even applies to my life. What's emphasized? What's repeated? If something is repeated over and over again, it's very, very, very important. So take note of it. All right. If you want a picture, we'll pull it back up later. That's the same thing just explained. All right. So observation. Then we go to interpretation. Now, I know what you're thinking. Travis, I've just been told my whole life, sit down, read the Bible, and that's that. That's great. And that's what we should sit down, read the Bible, and that can be that. But we've got to be very careful how we interpret the Bible. Say why? Because there's a verse in 1 Corinthians that talks about baptizing the dead. The Mormons, I know you say, I'm not a Mormon. The Mormons take that verse and say they can baptize someone that's dead and they can be saved. We know that's not how baptism works. Paul wrote about that one time in Scripture. There's nothing else to back that up. But they take that one verse, pull it out of its context, and apply it to this teaching that they want it to be. Jehovah Witness, you've had them at your doorstep before. They say that Jesus was not God. They have a wrong interpretation of Scripture. They say he's not God. So how, what, how do they deal with first? How do they deal with John chapter one? How do they deal with these passages that clearly call Jesus deity? They omit them. Their translation looks a lot different. I pulled one of their Bibles. It looks a lot different than ours. They've interpreted Scripture differently. So why is this important? Because if we're not going to know what the passage means, we're not going to be able to apply it to our life. We say, well, how do I do that? Well, it starts with reading. Rereading, observing the text, jotting down things that stick out to us. But it's vitally important that we go from there to understanding what the passage of Scripture means. So you say, well, sometimes I just don't know. There's tools that I use every single time to help me with this process. I'm in a class right now that I'm having to do these what's called interpretive assignments. And they're long and they're lengthy. And what they're making us do is they're giving all this background information for the text. But it's stuff that's not necessarily said right here. So what I would encourage, again, encourage, is after you have read the scriptures for itself and you've jotted down all of this information, then you can consult an outside resource. Never start with what someone else says about the Bible before you read the Bible. Always start with the Bible, then see what someone else is saying about the text. So... You can get a good commentary set. Warren Wiersbe, phenomenal. A lot of you use him. Warren Wiersbe is great. John MacArthur has some good stuff. Tony Evans, a lot of you have his study Bible. There are tools that can be used to help study. I don't want to pay for that. There's a fantastic website called acceptaustin.com. It's just a huge free site of commentary, commentary, commentary. And so, again, don't start there. Don't start with what someone else is saying about the text to interpret it. See what you have read for yourself first, and then say, I, just, I don't get what this word means. All right, we'll go to blueletterbible.com. It'll show you what the word means. Great. Go online, find a, a dictionary about the Bible. See what the word means. But you've asked that question first. You're not letting them dictate what you think about Scripture, letting you and the Holy Spirit dictate what the Spirit is saying to you from Scripture. So then you consult these outside resources, such as commentaries, such as um, Internet resources, such as dictionaries, things like that that will help you. So, ask these simple questions when you come to interpretation. These outside resources can help you understand that. Did I not put them in there? Maybe I did. Yeah, there are. Easy way to do this task, ask these simple questions. Who, what, when, 
where, why, and wherefore you say. Am I back in English class? No. But this helps you understand what's going on in the passage of Scripture. If you know who wrote it, it helps you understand greatly. I mean, think about Philippians, for example. We'll, we'll just take Philippians in this, this, these few questions. Who wrote Philippians? Paul. What's he writing? He's writing to these believers. He's writing a lot of great truths. Chapter 2, man, he's talking about Jesus humbling himself, coming to earth, talking about the riches of the gospel. When did he write it? Well, you can find the date in one of those sources. Where did he write it? He's in jail. Chapter 1 says he's chained to a guard every single day. He's in prison, and he's writing these truths. For what reason? So what's the reason that this passage of Scripture has been? For example, Colossae. When we were just looking at Colossians chapter 2. Why was it written? There were a lot of different gods that they could believe in. And Paul's got these newborn babes. that said, hey, watch out. Be careful. Don't go that way. Don't go into that. That's why he wrote it. He wrote Romans. Man, I desire to come to Rome. I desire to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. But, man, a lot of you are holding on to these false teachings. Right to the Galatians. Right in chapter 1. Usually, when you read Paul's letters, he goes, he says, man, I'm so thankful for you. And you've been doing great things in Christ. You read Galatians? Nope. You guys have been removed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. I marvel at how soon you did this. Guys, come on. So what's he writing Galatians about? Because they removed themselves from the gospel. They were adding to the gospel. So you ask those couple, couple of questions. Who, what, when, where, and wherefore, or for what reason is this book being written? So interpretation, it can be, you can go very, very deep with interpretation. And I encourage you, as deep as you can go, go into it. Because once you understand, like 1 Peter, for example, we were just there. Peter's writing while Nero is on the throne. And he's writing to these believers who are persecuted. Literally, Nero burned down Rome, set it on fire, and blamed the Christians. He lit Christians on fire like tiki torches because he persecuted them. And so he's writing to these Christians who are hurting, who are weary. And he's saying, hey, be holy for I am holy. He's saying, hey. As you desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Hey, look, the end is near, so watch and pray. It's coming. So what's he doing all throughout his book? He's encouraging these weary believers to stand firm in what they already know in Jesus. And so when we know that up front, that what he's writing the book for, what he writes makes, much sense, or makes a lot of sense. Wow, he says it like that because he's writing to these people who are being hurt. They're being lit on fire. They're being drugged through the mud. There's a lot going on in their life. That's why he says what he says and the way that he says it. So interpretation is very important. And I know a lot of people are just like, I just read to get some encouragement. And you get encouragement more when you understand what's being said on a deeper level. So I encourage you, observe, read, reread, reread, write down some things that stick out to you. Man, that's, that's awesome. He said this. Jesus looked that way. Jesus said this to that person. And then... Some things I don't get from this, and I can't quite make sense of what's being said, then consult. The, uh, yeah, there's D groups, literally, every week. And I'm not the expert, so don't, this is not me being an expert. Travis, we don't know what this means. I would love to answer your question. And sometimes, you know what I say to them? You know what? I don't know what that means. So let me study it, and I'll call you back. And then sometimes it's a couple weeks, and I'll call you back. But I'll consult outside resources. I do it to Pastor Austin. Do it, consult outside resources. Find out the interpretation if you can't quite make sense of it. All right, and the last one, it's where it gets fun, application. Application, application, application. So we cannot apply what we've read if we do not understand what we've read. That's why observation and interpretation is so important. So let me just walk you through my, when I'm preparing a sermon, what I do. I sit down. Uh, we've been preaching through Romans for now, two years. So I'll sit down to that passage of Scripture. This is not my daily Bible study. This is what I'm preparing. And I'll sit down, and I'll just look at the text, and I'll ask the Lord to help me, and I'll read the text. And then I see what Paul said. I'm going through five verses, maybe. Well, Paul said he gets all the glory. Paul said of him and through him and to him are all things. Paul said, chapter 8, verse 18, Man, for I reckon that my sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in me. So what I'm doing, I'm just jotting down all these things that come to my mind. After I've read it, I do it ten times. After I've read it ten times, man, Paul said it this way. And I told the teenagers, anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, stop and ask them, what is it there for? 
It's there for a purpose. It's connecting a verse. It's connecting a chapter. It's connecting something. So stop. Anytime you see the word therefore and ask, what is this there for? There's a purpose for it, I promise you. And I'll jot that down. Then there's, well, I don't really get this or I don't really understand that. So then I'll, I'll go to, I love Precept Austin. I use it all the time. So I'll go to Precept Austin. And we'll pre, it breaks down the verse, especially the New Testament, verse by verse, word by word, really. And just gives you the Greek, the everything that maybe we don't even understand. And helps. Then I go, all right, how does this and these truths apply to my life and apply to the teenagers? Because I'm usually preaching to teenagers. How does it apply? So I ask a couple questions. How can this change my life? How can this verse change their life? How can they apply this as a sixth grader through a grader in school? How can they? And maybe if it's a Sunday morning, how can this group apply this to their work environment? How can the dad apply this to his home life? How can the mom apply this to her home life? I'm just asking these questions. Then I'm asking in my personal study, how can this verse change my life today? How can I walk away from this passage of Scripture and apply this and live this out and it change who I am for Christ today? So, a couple of things to look for under the application and nine questions to ask, and we'll end here. So, we're, I know we're one minute till we'll end here. Some of you, if you're familiar with D Group, the first few of these sound familiar. But you ask these questions when you come under the application. This is not where you start with, this is what you end with. So, after you've observed, you've interpreted, you got the meaning, you ask this Is there an example to follow? Did Paul do something? Did Jesus, man, Jesus forgave that, that like this morning in, in John 8. Jesus forgave that woman. I can be more forgiving. Is there, is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? You read in Galatians, man, these guys, they went in, they bought into another teaching. That's a sin to avoid. Listening to what someone else would say that's not true about Scripture. Is there a promise to claim? Jesus says, I'll be with you always. That's a promise to claim. Jesus says, I'm going to return again. That's a promise to claim. Jesus says he's near to the brokenhearted. That's a promise to claim. So is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? So a lot of times, Paul will have a prayer in the middle of one of his books. Is there a prayer to repeat? Jesus has the model prayer in the Gospels. Is there a prayer that we can repeat? A lot of times, Paul prays for those that he's writing to. Is there a command to obey? Well, what does this verse say that I should do right now? So if it says I should forsake, okay, I'll forsake it. If it says I should live this, okay, I'm going to live it. Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? Is there an error to mark? And I put a little under that. That means what doctrines and truths in this passage are teaching, what theological errors is it exposing? What's that talking about? Like the Jehovah Witness. You come to John chapter 1 and it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. That is an error to mark. Because the Jehovah Witness will come knocking on your door this year and say, hey, let me take you through my Bible. And they'll come to their John 1, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a little g God. You're like, uh-uh. Well, I read that. I marked it as an error that you guys are teaching this, and we can talk through this. Okay, so you know up front, that's something that others teach that's inaccurate. You can mark that. Jesus is the God in the flesh. He is deity. He is God. So there's an error to mark. And last one, is there a challenge to face? Maybe it caused you to witness every single day. That's a challenge. Maybe this class is challenging you to read Scripture. Every single day. That's a challenge. Is there a challenge to face? So, we'll pick up next week. And really, this class is only three weeks. Too much material with spiritual disciplines in three weeks. But we'll wrap up next week. But I hope something from this, maybe one thing, I like the buffet, maybe one thing you can take today and use tomorrow in your daily walk with Jesus. Because if it's day by day that we're taking something new, Something helpful, something useful, and we're growing every single day. We're doing what he's called us to do. And so it's something that you and I should implement every single day of our life. And I know life gets busy, and I go back to the first point. There's an inward battle every single day for your mind, for your life, for your time. Satan wants your time. Be disciplined. Say so tomorrow, if it's i got to wake up 30 minutes earlier, I'll do it. So I'm going to be disciplined in this. I'm going to go to bed 30 minutes later. So I'm going to be disciplined in this. I'm going to take the time to read the passage. Read it maybe more than once. Jot down a couple of thoughts. Because my problem was I just read once. And I closed my Bible and said, check. I've done it for today. But I was not engaging in true Bible study. And I regret that. 
So when we engage in true Bible study, Colossians 2, verse 7, we're being rooted every single day like that tree in California. So then when Satan comes next week, and I got scripture for that. I got a promise to claim for that. I got truth to that. And we can combat his lies every single day. We're three minutes over. I apologize. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. Thank you for everyone that came out tonight. And Lord, I pray that there was some truth here. Lord, I know it was a lot of information, a lot of information. And Lord, we could spend hours upon hours on observation alone, interpretation alone, and application alone. So Lord, thank you for letting us briefly just get an overview of that. And Lord, I pray that we all can just take something away that we can apply starting tomorrow that helps us grow in you. That's the point of this whole study for three weeks, Jesus, is for us to grow in you daily. So help us do that, Jesus, I pray. And then we ask this, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.